welcome to another After Dark bonus podcast. I'm Emily. And I'm Gemma. Today we are looking into stalkers and stalking. The crime survey for England and Wales for the year 2015 to 2016 showed that an estimated 1.2 million people had been reported being stalked. This number was made up of 450,000 men and 759,000 women. But an estimated 88% of victims don't report. In the United States, stalking affects 6.6 million people each year. And about 3 out of 10 of those people report experiencing emotional and psychological harm as a result. Now, there are many misconceptions about stalkers, including ideas about stalkers being lonely, socially awkward and generally undesirable people. But experts say that many stalkers are charming and seemingly average people that you'd never would have guessed had an unhealthy obsession about their ex, their neighbour or a complete stranger. I think that's the thing I find so terrifying with stalking is it doesn't have to be somebody that you know for them to form an obsession, you know, or even somebody fake. Like you tend to think of stalking as like obsessive fans, but it doesn't have to be that way. But how do we define stalking? So it's defined as repeated and unwanted attention, harassment, contact, or any other behaviour directed at a specific person that would cause a reasonable person to feel fear. Uh, The relentless neurotic nature of the stalker can take the form of harassing their targets, calling them repeatedly, as well as sending letters and gifts. If these are then ineffective, the individual may escalate to more intrusive behaviours, such as spying on and unexpectedly confronting their victims. We see many examples of stalkers in films and on the big screens. Stalkers are just as often, if not more often, women as men in them. And the the term bunny boiler came out of the most famous stalking movies of all time, Fatal Attraction. That's a terrifying movie. Haven't watched it. I've read I've read what happened and I kind of thought, "Mm, don't think I want to watch that. Are there different types of stalking? Yes. In 1993, Australian stalking expert Paul Mullen, the clinical director and chief psychiatrist at Victoria's Forensic Care, a high security hospital for mentally ill offenders, analysed the behaviour of 145 diagnosed stalkers. And based on this analysis, he and and fellow colleagues uh, proposed five stalker subtypes, which were defined in an attempt to facilitate diagnosis and treatment. So these subtypes are still the most current and most extensively used for categorisation and classifying stalking behaviour. So the first subtype is rejected stalking and this type sees an individual who's experienced the unwanted end of a close relationship, most likely with a romantic partner, but it can also happen with a parent, work associate or an acquaintance. So when the stalker's attempts to reconcile fail, they frequently seek revenge Your second type is the intimacy seeker. Now, they identify a person, often a complete stranger, as their true love and begin to behave as if they're in a relationship with that person. Many intimacy seekers carry the delusion that their love is actually reciprocated as well. The third is the incompetent subtype. So, like the intimacy seeker, they hope their behaviour will lead to a close relationship, satisfying their need for contact and intimacy. This type of stalker acknowledges that their victim is not reciprocating their affection, but then they still continue their pursuit. 
Now, Mullen views stalkers in this subtype as intellectually limited and socially awkward. Given their inability to comprehend and carry out socially normal and accepted courting rituals, the incompetent stalker uses methods that are often counterproductive and frightening. And an example was seen in 2004 when Britney Spears stalker sent numerous love letters and emails and photos of himself with frightening notes saying things such as, I'm chasing you. So the next type is the resentful stalker. This stalker experiences feelings of injustice and desires revenge against their victim rather than a relationship. Their behaviour reflects their perception that they've been humiliated and treated unfairly and they view themselves as the victim in the situation. And the last subtype is the predator stalker. So they also have no desire for a relationship, but they crave a sense of power and control and they find pleasure in gathering information about a victim and then fantasizing about assaulting them physically and most frequently sexually. And with the rise of the internet, cyber stalking has been on the rise and this relies on access and anonymity, which is provided by modern technology. And it's something that young people are especially prone to. And that's where you see the most case numbers. So do you have some cases to share with us? I do. I wanted to talk about the case of Rebecca Schaefer, which basically kick-started a move to create the statutory offence of stalking. So in 1989, at the age of 21, Rebecca was a successful television actress when a deluded fan with a gun took it all away from her with a single shot. And following this highly publicised murder, California passed the nation's first anti-stalking statute in 1990, with other US states quickly following suit. But her case wasn't the first that ended in murder. In 1968, Tatiana Tarasov befriended fellow student Prosenji Podder, I'm really sorry, I'm fluffing the words, and gave him a friendly kiss at a party. This led to him believing that they were, they were in a relationship, which Tatiana clarified wasn't the case. She was very quick to clarify that. He developed an unhealthy obsession with her and stalked her for over a year before stabbing her to death in 1969. Podder had openly expressed his intention to kill Tatiana, but no one took him seriously, including the school psychologist. The case led to a Supreme Court case that ruled mentally he mental health professionals forgo confidentiality and warn individuals that are threatened by patients, but nothing was done to protect victims of stalkers after that case. And it's just terrifying, isn't it, really? Yeah. So tell us about Rebecca's case then. Rebecca was born on November the 6th, 1967, and while she dreamed of becoming a model, her height was really restrictive for her, and eventually her agent suggested that she try her, her hand at acting. And in 1986, she landed a job in a new sitcom called My Sister Sam, which aired weekly on CBS, and she was only 18 years old at the time. Her stalker and killer, Robert Brado, liked to write letters, and this will be important as we go along. He was the youngest of seven children and had a tough upbringing with his family moving frequently. He was described as a bright student but a learner with no friends. He had a hard time socialising and often found himself excluded. In junior high he wrote uh, one of his teachers up to three letters a day in which he spoke about committing suicide and even hinted at killing the teacher. And at the age of 13 he saw Samantha Reed Smith appear as this new type of girl celebrity on the TV. They were calling her America's youngest ambassador after she wrote to Soviet leader to implore him not to let Russia go to war with the US. And Robert became infatuated with her. 
and he wrote her a letter and he was really thrilled when he received a postcard from her in response so much so that he went looking for another way to contact his new crash and the Smith family home number was listed in the phone book and he soon began calling her. He got through to her the first time, but then was very quickly blocked from being able to speak to her by other members of the family. And the more he was blocked from being able to talk with her, the more he became obsessed. In his mind, they had a relationship that others were trying to thwart. And when he was 14, he stole $140 from his mother's purse and set off to meet his crush. And he was taken into custody two blocks from Samantha's home and returned to his parents. And it's around this time that he was diagnosed with depression and placed into foster care for a month after he threatened to kill himself following what he claimed was a sustained abuse from his siblings. In August of 1985, Samantha died in a light plane crash and Robert was so overcome by grief that he spiralled further into depression, believing that he'd somehow been responsible. And a year later, in the summer of 1986, he saw the commercial for Rebecca's new TV show and decided that it's something that he needed to make sure that he watched. So after the show began airing for a few weeks, um, Rebecca discovered fan mail and she was determined that she was going to read and respond to all of the letters that she got. And by coincidence, 16-year-old Robert decided to write her a letter, nothing too intense, just how happy she made him. And as he wrote these letters, he felt himself falling in love with her. Some of the letters he wrote went too far and those ones he decided to keep to the side to reread when he was lonely. As Rebecca became more famous, he became more obsessed with her. He taped pictures cut out of magazines to his room walls and tucked articles about her in a drawer. After a year in the summer of 1987, Robert decided that he was going to go and tell Rebecca how he felt in person. So on June 2nd, 1987, he made his way to Warner Brothers Studios in Burbank, carrying a five-foot teddy and a bunch of flowers. Now, security obviously turned him away. And after loitering outside of the studio, trying to wait to see her, he then went to the Hollywood Hills to try and find her residence, trying to search for a house that matched the description that Rebecca had given to a magazine but running out of money, he returned home wondering if Rebecca was becoming more arrogant, seeing herself as too important to speak to her fans, which is a little bit of a worrying twist. But a month later, he tried to meet her again. But this time he was taken to, to John F. Egger, the security chief at the studios. And when they took him into the office, they found a knife in his backpack. He was escorted off the premises and Egger tried to talk to Robert about his inappropriate behavior. And Robert went home after the whole situation and tried to forget about her but so he turned to a few other celebrities including Debbie Gibson an America singer and he again tried to meet his crush this time he got on a plane to New York and didn't manage to meet her but while he was in New York he learned about Mark David Chapman the man who'd gunned down John Lennon and the more that he read about this about Mark he saw the similarities between himself and Chapman and he even bought a copy of Catcher in the Rye, which was the book that Chapman had said that he'd been reading before he killed Lennon. Over the next year, he was arrested three times on domestic violence and disorderly conduct charges. As you can guess, things were really starting to spiral. What happened next? For Rebecca, things were moving on. In 1988, My Sister Sam was officially cancelled and her next big break was as Zandra in scenes from the, from the class struggle in Beverly Hills. And when 
Robert saw that she'd be in a film, he decided to go and see it in the cinema and he was shocked by the difference in Rebecca. This role was much different to the CBS show and included scenes of Rebecca naked in bed with a co-star. And he went home and wrote a letter to Rebecca. And this time his letter started to take on a more menacing tone. And in one of them, he called her Miss Nudity Two-Shoes. His obsession was reignited and he noticed that she'd lost some of her youth, youthful sweetness in her images in magazines, which obviously was coming with the fact that she was getting older. She wasn't just a young teenager anymore. But he guessed that she was acting like a whore in Hollywood and needed to be punished. He read an article in People magazine that told the story of the actress Teresa Saldana, who had nearly been killed after her stalker had hired a PI to get her phone number and then her address. After reading this, he immediately went to the Yellow Pages and called the first PI that he found. And on June the 1st, 1989, he entered the Anthony Agency to find a PI and the PI took his $250 and using the Department of Motor Vehicles, he got Rebecca's address. Robert's next stop was his older brother, who he asked to buy a gun for him. Robert was 19, so he wasn't able to do so. His brother took $200 from Robert and bought a 357 Magnum and told Robert he wasn't to use it unless he was with him on a gun range. There was an incident though when Robert's neighbours were having a party and he ran across the street um, waving the gun saying that he was going to shoot them all. So things were really getting out of hand by this point. And on Tuesday, July 18th, 1989, Rebecca woke up early. It was the day she was set to audition for The Godfather 3. Now the script we brought to her the same morning because they were worried about scripts being taken or being lost or leaked. So she was up early, ready to learn her, line, her lines. Now the doorbell to her apartment was broken, so she made sure to keep her ear out for the intercom. And the sound of the bell surprised her and she rushed to the door thinking that it was the script, but instead there stood Robert. He was tongue-tied and wasn't able to say anything to her. And she quite politely said, I appreciate you coming, but please don't come back. And she shook his hand and closed the door in his face. Now, Robert hadn't expected her to be so polite and was a little bit shocked. And realizing he hadn't actually eaten that day, he went to a nearby diner where he ordered food and pulled out Catcher in the Rye before he then called his sister. He told her that he was a block away, uh, a block and a half away from Rebecca's house and said that he was on a mission to stop her, quote, forsaking her innocent image and becoming a fornicating screen whore. But he didn't say how he was going to do this. At some point, he realised that he'd forgotten to give Rebecca a cassette with songs that he'd written about her. And even though she'd asked him not to go back, at 10.15, Rebecca, still in her bathroom, went to answer the door again, hoping that it would be the script. But when she saw Robert again, she snapped. And she told him that he was wasting her time. Angry, he said, quote, I forgot to give you this earlier. But instead of pulling out the cassette, he pulled out his gun. He stepped forward, grabbed her arm so that she couldn't slam the door and shot her in the heart. Now, he was later caught and bail was set at a million dollars. Now, his defence argued for insanity and the jury, to the jury, it was easy to see that something wasn't quite right. I mean, they played U2 songs that he'd become obsessed with and he just sat there singing along to it in the courtroom. It, it was quite obviously that he wasn't all there, but he was sentenced to life without parole. And 
1990, California passed the first American anti-stalking law. And a law was also passed that restricted the amount of information that the Department of Motor Vehicles could release to people in the hope that that would help future people. So it seemed almost too easy for him to be able to get her address. Yeah. I was never aware that someone could call up the DMV and ask for an address. You think about it now, it just seems crazy that people could find out your address that easily. Jodie Foster, who's obviously an actress, she was stalked by John Hinckley Jr. Mm. Who is probably more famous for his attempt to kill then-president Ronald Reagan. Yeah. Clearly stalking is kind of not a one-off crime. It kind of tends to become involved with other things. Yeah. I guess it depends at what point things suddenly change. It starts becoming an obsession and then turns into wanting revenge because you feel like the injured party. Yeah. I mean, I was about then to say uh, men, but you mentioned that it wasn't just men that become stalkers? No, it's not. There are several cases of female stalkers and men are often more reluctant to report cases as it doesn't look too manly to report having a female stalker. And I found a couple of high profile cases for you. So Margaret Mary Ray stalked US talk show host David Letterman for years and she even stole his Porsche from his driveway. So, but she continued stalking him until she killed herself in 1998 at the age of 46. Now, she fully believed that she and Letterman were married and that her son was their child. Um, but she was one of four siblings and the third to suffer from mental illness and also the third to commit suicide. Her older brother drove a car at full speed into a tree when he was 22 and her younger brother lay down in a garage filled with carbon monoxide when he was 21. So they had a history of mental illness, which obviously was then connected to their stalking. And Letman had said throughout the the whole all the years of his stalking that he could tell when she was on and off her medication so even off her med on her medication he he was still being stalked but he could tell when she was more put together and when she wasn't and he said that he didn't really know what to do about it because it's this problem of you don't know whether you should be flattered or worried about it um, the second case is a bit bit more modern. Canadian actress Genevieve Saborin, she stalked Alec Baldwin, bombarding him with emails and insisting that they were involved in a romantic relationship until 2013, when she was sentenced to seven months in jail. Now, she said that she first met Baldwin on a film set in Canada in 2000 and said that he flirted with her from the start, secretly passing her his phone number and his Hampton address under the table. Now, this case is really difficult to find the details on because it's all over the media. And it's such a case of he said, she said, because obviously they're both famous. So she claims that they slept together and he then didn't want to talk to her because it was an affair. And he claims that that never happened and that she just wouldn't leave him alone. So it's really difficult to see what the actual case is with that and I think that's kind of important when you talk about stalking some people just think oh you're just making it up you're making it you're saying it to hide something else or you just you can't 
they're not they're not stalking you they're just trying to get your attention yeah it's difficult isn't it yeah but it seems that stalking tends the cases you've highlighted and i'm i'm guessing it's not all of them but it seems to be that stalking and mental illness kind of go hand in hand yeah i think they do i mean obviously you get the more malicious type when somebody's stalking an ex or or something to make them suffer yeah. but when somebody falls for a celebrity it seems more yeah i think they're quite quick to to turn nasty because mm. in their brains they feel like they have this relationship with a celebrity the celebrity has no idea even who they are because that they're not getting the attention that they want it flips you know why it's the catcher in the rye that seems to appeal i don't know i've never read it I, don't, I think I read it in school, but I don't really remember, like, it didn't make an opinion, but it seems to be quite a common thing with men that stalk. But if anybody knows why or what it is about the catcher in the rye that appeals to these kind of cases, we're really interested in hearing yeah. about her. So we've talked about stalkers, but what laws are there to protect us from stalking? So in England, the Protection from Harassment Act 1997, which came into effect in, on June the 16th, 1997, states that stalking carries a maximum of six months imprisonment and a fine. Stalking that includes fear of violence or serious alarm and distress may carry a maximum of 10 years and or a fine on indictment. In 2012, the Protection of Freedoms Act created two new offences of of stalking which came into force on November the 5th uh, 25th 2012 they gave no strict legal definition of stalking but examples included following watching or spying or even forcing contact through any means which included social media the effect of the stalking like behavior is meant to have an effect of curtailing the victim's freedom leaving them feeling that they constantly have to be careful in 2016 new stalking protection orders came into force in England and Wales and breaching these orders comes with a maximum of five years and police can apply to courts for these orders before stalking suspects have been arrested or convicted. They typically ban the stalker from contacting the victim online or going near them. In Scotland, stalking is illegal under the, under the Criminal Justice and Licensing Act of 2010 and in Northern Ireland, it's illegal under the Protection from Harassment Order of 1997. So are there helplines? Yes, there's quite a lot of helplines. If you feel like you're being threatened, contact the police. It should always be the first thing that you do, whether you, you feel in immediate danger and you call 999 or you go into a police station and report it. There's the National Stalking Helpline, which you can contact on 0808-802-3033. And I'll put the numbers and the helplines in the description box. There's the Network for Surviving Stalking, the Paladin National Stalking Advocacy Service, and another one called Protection Against Stalking. And you can also use the government's victim and witness information website to find local support in your areas. So there's a lot of help out there, whether it be from the police or from community groups. Although it shouldn't be your responsibility not to get stalked. It's always good to uh, think about all the information you're sharing online because it's so easy to to give away personal details without meaning to and also don't be a creep if someone tells you to stop you should probably think about why they're asking you to stop yeah we'll see you in the next podcast